Today we're talking about uh, pleasure. We've been kind of teasing uh, everybody that we're eventually going to be, we've been talking about intimacy and we wanted to talk about how to have good sex. And uh, so we're going to start with that. And I was going to do it all in one talk and then I realized this is an important topic. And, uh, you know, we need to break this up into sections. And uh, so we're going to start talking about how to have good sex. And today we're talking about pleasure. Uh, and, uh, you know, pleasure can be uh, a little bit of a hang-up. And uh, what, do you, what do you think about uh, when you think about your body? When you, when you think about your body and your relationship with your body... I saw some thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> When you go in front of the mirror, when you're walking along in your house and you, I don't know, you're in your birthday suit and you, you walk across a mirror and you look at that mirror, does it just come to mind like, wow, you are a wonderful God. Look at your masterpiece. <laughs> look at what you did. This body is just amazing. <laughs> is that your reaction? <laughs> I was talking... So we were talking about, yeah, you know, the body is so amazing, you know, it's like God's masterpiece. It was the last thing that he created was man. It's because it's so perfect and beautiful. And then we stopped and we're like, well, actually the last thing he created was woman. <laughs> so maybe that's maybe that's the masterpiece. <laughs> Um, so he made our bodies and he, and, and he was pleased with them. And uh, one of the purposes of our body is to give us pleasure, uh, to give us enjoyment. And you can actually shut that down. You can shut down pleasure in your body. You can limit it. You can enjoy it less. And there's different reasons why you do that. I think the most common one, particularly in the church, is uh, because it just... I don't know if people will really make an argument that they shouldn't be enjoying their bodies because uh, I don't think it makes sense really easily when you kind of say it out loud. But I have a feeling there's this, there's this undercurrent of feeling still in the church that pleasure in your body is somehow less spiritual or maybe even dirty. And um, I think if you kind of talk to people, it's kind of like they reluctantly admit, yeah, you know, pleasure is important and God made our bodies to experience pleasure. But... Um, but that's not necessarily the way that people respond when they actually talk about it. I remember um, uh, part of the idea of this is actually talking about uh, you know people who come in. Uh, I'm a psychologist, and people come into the clinic, and they will sometimes really have trouble uh, enjoying intimacy. And and to tell you the truth, the clients who actually have the most trouble of that kind often are Christian and sometimes very um, devout Christian. And this is oftentimes the trouble that they really have in their life is actually enjoying, enjoying sex. I remember I had, wasn't that type of couple, but I had, um, this is a made up story, but it's kind of common elements, uh, very common themes in my clinic. Uh, you know, a couple comes in with, mitched, with a mismatched sex drive. This is extremely common. And um, she's feeling, I'll do it you know, the stereotyped way, which is the most common way in the clinic, although it, it happens the other way too, but I'll just say it this way. He was the one who wanted sex more, and she was the one who wanted it less, and, and uh, she was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with his need for sex. And 
uh, feeling like she didn't want it at all anymore. And been, this had been going on for years. And they were coming in to try to negotiate this, to try to figure out how to you know, be good in their relationship. And, um, and the idea was, how do we actually lower his sex drive? That was kind of the way that they were approaching it. How do we get rid of this kind of annoying thing in our relationship? And he was kind of as on board with lowering his sex drive as she was. Um, it was just overwhelming for him. So that's the, that's the story that I want to start with. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. In the Bible, one of the things that people think about the most when we talk about the body and we talk about um, pleasure is we, I don't know if this rings in your ears, but you're, it very quickly goes to, to Paul talking about the flesh. Um, and Paul talks about the flesh, and it's basically the word for the body, and he talks about the flesh very negatively. We need to overcome it. There's lots of different ways that he talks about it, and it's all negative. And talks about it being in opposition to the Spirit. I'll just read you an example in Galatians 6, 8. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, if you take this scripture alone, um, you might see how people might start to get a negative view of the flesh and get a negative view of sex or the desire for sex. And there's a history in the church. I don't know exactly how to, you know, where it was or how accurate the different descriptions are, but there's very common kind of thoughts about how, you know, there were writers in the, in the past uh, who were kind of against sex. It had to only be for procreation. It had to only be in the missionary position. It had to have kind of this conformity. And so you get this feeling like it was just really um, kind of a negative thing. So first, let's talk about the word flesh. Now, the word, the, the, the word that's used for the flesh has you know, multiple definitions. The basic one is the body. Um, and, and it can be used. It's used different places in Scripture, not just where Paul's referencing it. And sometimes it means different things. Um, the definition that seems to be the one that Paul is using is denoting human nature uh, earthly nature, uh, the part of man that's apart, different or set apart from the divine influence, and therefore prone to sin and opposing God. Um, so it's kind of a generic word itself, but it can mean that. So what's important is that, you know, you don't just see the body as being negative. So what is, what is Paul really meaning when he's talking about the flesh? What is he actually referring to? Is he talking just about the body in general? Or is it something more specific? And... Um, in Romans, it gets a little bit more clear in Romans 3, 13, 14, 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. It says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So it's saying here, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So it's not talking about the body. It's talking about the desires of the body. That might be negative here. So it's getting a little bit more specific. It's about lust. It gets even more specific if we talk about Galatians 5:19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he actually makes a nice list here of the works of the flesh, what he's referring to as the flesh. So it's clearly not the body, it's these behaviors. And he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's actually not even just sex. It's this really big topic, kind of, of these um, desires of the, that kind of come out of people and their, and their bodies. It's not the body specifically. It's this kind of following the body apart from God. And this can actually be kind of contrasted with the fruits of the Spirit. If you were to look at the fruits of the Spirit, there's a nice list over there that I'm not going to go through right now, where if you follow the kind of path of the Spirit, you get this other stuff coming out of the body and uh, coming out of a life. Um, And this would be that kind of black and white, the opposites of, of the different things that can happen. My point with this is to say that it's not pleasure that's wrong, and it's not your body that's bad, but that the pleasures of the body, and the body on its own, without the guidelines of the spirit, if you take the spirit away from the body, this is what desires just humans on their own, this is where it takes you. Without these guidelines, without the instruction, without the influence of the spirit in your life. These different fruits, these negative fruits. So let's go back to the story I talked about. So we had this, again, made up, but let's just make it like it is a person. Have this person there, and they're talking about the sex drive that's out of control. So you dig a little deeper, and you're like, what's this, what is this sex drive? You know, what's going on with this? And they say, well, you know, he wants sex all the time. And it's like, okay, what does that look like? This is a safe therapy session, so let's actually talk about this in detail. We're not, usually you don't get answers or solutions unless you actually talk about things in detail, so you got to dig. So what does this actually look like? Well, you know, like he wants sex, but he's always wanting variety. Like he always wants something different. Oh, okay. That's all of a sudden sounding a little bit different. He wants something different all the time. He's always imagining things, these, all these different scenarios or whatever. We didn't actually get into all the different scenarios, but like all these Normally we don't like it. All these different things. And, and then what would be also common would be to have them talk about pornography. Because pornography is almost always in relationships that I, in the couples that I see. Especially if they have trouble with sex. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And so it's like, yeah, and, they, and there's pornography. And, and uh, you know, he likes that. And I'm okay with that. But they've still got these problems. So, uh, you know, what do we do? How do we actually kind of help him manage that? And, and then I said, well, it's kind of interesting, let's say, say, it's kind of interesting uh, that you have two things that seems going on. You have this sex drive, but you also have this kind of creativity, this like multiple desires thing happening. And in their minds, they had never divided the two. That's kind of like, it always kind of seems to mush together, you know, this sex drive and this kind of desire for different things. And, and I said, well, it's actually starting to sound a little bit like an addiction. Like sex drive on its own is not an addiction. But the kind of one of the main hallmarks of an addiction is what you call tolerance or habituation. So, you know, you kind of engage in some behavior, whatever that behavior is. And then over time, you lose interest in that behavior. And it becomes less satisfying. You're tolerating it more and more. You're habituating to it more and more. And then you need more or something different or something like more intense you tolerate it and then it gets worse and that doesn't happen with a sex drive 
With a sex drive, you could just be sitting around and it comes back in the same way. But if you're talking about tolerance and habituation, you're talking about something different, like you're engaging in some behavior, in this case, in some sexual behavior, or some pornographic, I don't know, uh, observation, and then all of a sudden, over time, it becomes less interesting. In fact, the idea of an addiction kind of goes against the idea of a sex drive. Because if it's your sex drive, then you really don't need to do anything in order to get your sex drive going. You don't need to look at some new material. The sex drive just comes back on its own. But if you want to have sex even more than what your sex drive is giving you, then you kind of need to go and get creative in order to get your sex drive stronger and going. Because you know what, I really do want to have another orgasm or I want to have another experience. And I can't just do that on my own. So maybe if I watch some new pornographic video, all of a sudden I will get more interested in it again and I can actually have another orgasm. I need something more in order to actually satisfy this feeling. I'm uncomfortable with this middle of the road. I'm kind of interested in sex, but I actually, so I just want to kind of get rid of that. So I'm going to do something to help myself to have the orgasm and then I'll be comfortable again. And then I'll, well, now I'll do that again, but now I need to do something more. And so you get this kind of, almost like maybe the pornography is actually helping me. Maybe it's helping me to actually be able to have the orgasm and just get back to a state of being comfortable. So all these different stories that happen. And oftentimes, the partner, in this case, this fake example we're using a woman, will actually try desperately to try to satisfy it. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes there's just anger. <laughs> but oftentimes there's this like period of like just trying to satisfy this in different ways. And, and uh, it's amazing, to tell, tell you the truth, when I hear some of the stories of what, uh, what people are able or willing to do. But there can become a lot of like self-condemnation and anyway. The point of all this is to say that the, the creativity, the diversity, the novelty is the addiction. But the basic sex drive is separate from that. Now you can have both at the same time. These are not mutually exclusive. And oftentimes people with a higher sex drive are actually wanting to do these other things more. But they are different. So what would be kind of a typical thing that I would say to a couple like that? Well, you know what, maybe take out the pornography. Why don't you take out the diversity? In fact, why don't you take out any kind of, maybe any pornography at all? Wow, <laughs> this is a radical thought. Maybe for like a month, you know, like let's treat this like an addiction. Go without, reboot your brain. Try to go without it for a little while and see what happens. Let's actually see what your, just your sex drive on its own will do for you. How much like desire actually comes just from that without actually kind of learning to go into this kind of addiction cycle. But if you leave it on its own, your body can lead you down that road without the restrictions, without the instructions of God. When people hear about the instructions of God, though, when they hear about these restrictions around sexual activity or other kinds of activities, they often get this idea, just like Paul, like God doesn't want us to have pleasure, right? It's like, well, if we're not allowed to do this and we're not allowed to do this, then maybe we're not allowed to have fun. Maybe we're not allowed to enjoy ourselves. Maybe that's what he's getting at. 
But God's not against the body and he's not against pleasure. These are good things. God has pleasure. That's not a scandalous thing to say. It might sound scandalous, but God actually enjoys himself. He has pleasure. Psalm 147. It's, when you look through the Bible, you look for the word, for idea of God having pleasure, it is a little bit harder to find, I'll admit it. But there's lots of other kind of synonyms that are there, like rejoicing or delighting. So if you want to look up rejoicing and delighting, it's everywhere. God is rejoicing and delighting and enjoying himself everywhere. But I did find a place where it actually uses the word pleasure, because that's what I wanted to go after today. Psalm 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And God wants us to have pleasure. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He invented pleasure because he has pleasure within himself, within the Trinity. They enjoy each other. They enjoy us. He enjoys you. Let that sink in. He has pleasure in his relationship with you. You are a source of God's pleasure. And he wants you to have pleasure as well. And all those instructions that he gives around constraining sources of pleasure aren't to limit pleasure. It's to make sure that the pleasure you have isn't fleeting. He wants you to enjoy yourself longer. That's why he restricts people. He restricts people because he knows how to help you have pleasure for a long period of time. And I don't think he's just referring to this is the way you get into heaven and in heaven you can have pleasure forevermore. When I look at the lives of people who follow his instructions, now he's got grace. If you're not following his instructions and you're sincerely trying, sure, there's grace, there's forgiveness, but there's also kind of a you're missing out. He's not just, you know, making up rules because he wants to make it hard and he wants you to have to, like, seek forgiveness. He has forgiveness if you don't, but there's, like, just real-world consequences because he knows how your body operates. And if you don't operate within his instructions, you're going to have less pleasure overall. Now, you might have moments of extreme pleasure in the beginning if you don't follow it, but it's fleeting. It's fleeting. And if you follow his instructions, there's the blessing of the fact that, hey, you know, you're following those instructions and you can, you can come to God and you don't have to ask for as much forgiveness and all those kinds of things. That's great. But there's also this benefit of you're going within his design and you're just going to be more available for pleasure in your life. You're going to have more pleasure over time. 
just natural pleasure. Marital sex is better than non-marital sex. And they get more sex. More sex, better sex. Pleasures forevermore. It's less fleeting. That's just one example. That's just one example. I want you to have more pleasure in your life. I love saying things that I don't hear pastors saying. <laughs> Makes me happy. I want Maplecrest, I want the community of Maplecrest to be people who are having the most pleasure out of any churches in Canada. And I don't want it to be fleeting. I don't want it to be a moment of pleasure. If we wanted to have the most pleasure today out of any of the churches in Canada, then that might lead you down the wrong path. But I want you to have the most pleasure overall out of any church in Canada. I want that to be our goal because if that's your goal to have the most pleasure in your life overall, you're going to follow God's instructions. You're going to lead a pure life. Because if you don't, it leads to all kinds of pain and suffering in your life. So if you want to lead a path of pleasure, you should lead a path of purity. Overall, you're going to come out ahead. Overall. So we need to be training ourselves to experience more pleasure. Christians shut down pleasure in their bodies because they feel like I'm not saying every Christian does this but overall from the people I talk to in my clinic and the way that they operate their lives and I see Christians too Christians are the ones who are the most against pleasure because they feel like pleasure is against purity so they feel devout in suffering and there's a place for suffering there's a place for persecution but we're not supposed to be in suffering and experiencing bad feelings. We're supposed to be experiencing joy in our suffering. Even in suffering, he wants you to have pleasure. Even there, of all places, he wants you to experience pleasure in him. We should always be filled with joy in all things. We should be the most pleasure-sensitive people on earth. And yet we're shutting ourselves down from pleasure because we feel like it's righteous. I'm suffering more than you. I'm suffering more than you. You think you're faithful. And I don't think people try to, again, I don't think people are trying to make this argument. I don't hear people saying that out loud, but they live their lives with that. And they've numbed their bodies almost completely to the Lord. The most righteous person is the person who doesn't raise their hands. The most righteous person is the person who's the most, who's not smiling in church. If you're experiencing joy in church, I don't know. Are you really faithful? I don't know. You're just a little too happy to be a Christian. Are you actually dancing? You can do that at a football game. 
But don't do that at church. That's a little too much joy. And you can actually shut down your body, and you can feel like you're not worthy of pleasure too. In Song of Solomon, I am dark, but I am lovely. It's that first verse where, where the church, the symbolic church, there's a different ways of reading Song of Solomon, but if you read it this way, I am dark, but I am lovely. I, I don't even know if I'm worthy of your kiss. I don't think I'm worthy. I haven't tended my flocks. Sorry, I didn't think I'd say this, so I don't have the scriptures for you, but... I didn't think, I didn't attend to my flocks. Are you really, like, I'm dark. In that time, it was better to be light. Like, the dark, if you were out in the fields, that was negative. So now we all want to tend, but back then they didn't. Because that meant that you were in the fields and not in the tents. I'm dark. I'm dark. You don't want to be with me. I'm not worthy. That's one thing that you can do. You can be like, I'm not worthy, Lord. But the Lord's like, I want to give you a kiss. You're so lovely to me. You're so lovely to me. We talk a lot about, not a lot, we talk about the dark night of the soul, these times when you feel like God is separate from you. And I have so much empathy and I wrestle with that idea and I want to honor people who are in that dark night of the soul and are walking through the shadow of the valley of death. But I also believe that God designed your body to interact in pleasure with him. And sad, stoic prayer is not the main and the plane of spiritually interacting with God. I'm going to pray, so let me get my dark cloak, sit in the dark room, and start to cry. I'm not against that at all. I cry, but... It doesn't have to always be that way. I want the main and the plane of our prayer to be pleasure in the experience of God. I want people to be like, I get to pray today. I get to pray today. And you might think, like, I don't know. I do believe in the dark night of the soul. I believe that God works with us in different ways, in persecution, and at times potentially withdrawing his spirit. But I also think that a lot of the dark separation from God is I'm not worthy or pleasure is bad. Pleasure is less holy. I'm not worthy of your presence. Pleasure is scary. Pleasure is... mm -mm, That's not spiritual. And I don't want you to be experiencing hard times in your prayer life with God because you're actually telling God my body is numb, don't touch me. My body cannot have a pleasurable spiritual experience because that's not holy. I want your emotions to be sensitive to the touch of the Spirit. I want my emotions to be sensitive to the pleasures of God. Pleasures are at His right hand forevermore. He gave us a body that experiences pleasure with other people and with him. And I don't like it when we're constantly separating the physical and the spiritual. 
He created the physical. He wants you. So if he created the physical, the physical is spiritual. So if you are experiencing pleasure in the physical, you are experiencing something that was designed by the spirit. You are experiencing a spiritual intention for pleasure. And he wants to be a source of your pleasure as well. When you walk away today, I want you to be thinking about how can I be more okay with experiencing pleasure in my relationship with God? How can I be more okay that when I speak a word over somebody, I can experience pleasure as I express God's love over their life? When I prophesy to somebody, how can I experience God's pleasure as he has pleasure in this person? When I pray for healing for somebody, how do I not get into self-condemnation when things don't look like I feel they should look? How do I experience God's pleasure in God's desire to heal somebody's body? When I see somebody crying, how do I cry with them but also feel God's pleasure in this person's life and joy and compassion for them because he loves them so much? How do I cry because of the joy of the Lord and the fact that I get to care for somebody? I'm not saying that there aren't difficult seasons. And I'm not saying that we don't mess up and have sin in our life. But I want us to see God as somebody that you run to when you've sinned because he is your strong foundation. He is your refuge. He is your source of mercy and compassion. You don't have to clean yourself up and get yourself ready to get into his presence. You get yourself all messed up in the world because that's the way it works. And then you run into him and you say, Lord, you, I want to enjoy you. I don't feel worthy to enjoy you. I don't feel worthy to have you enjoy me. But that's the way it works. When you're persecuted, when the world is awful, I want you to be in his presence enjoying him. When things don't go the way you think they should, I want you to experience God's pleasure over you. And I don't really have a great one, two, three for how to begin to enjoy God's presence more, other than the fact that when you pray, pray, God, help me to enjoy you. It is okay to envision yourself experiencing God's pleasure and be okay with that idea. That's actually okay to have happen. And then pray for that and take steps in that direction. If I could have the worship team come up. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, thank you for this message. Lord, I just want to break down our conceptions of you, that you're harsh, that you're mean-spirited, and that by suffering, we are holier. 
Lord, help us to enjoy you. Help us to go through tough times filled with your joy inside, because that's what you told us to do. Lord, in your joy, in your pleasure is strength to persevere. We need your pleasure in order to persevere. Give us wisdom, Lord, and open our bodies and our minds to the good things that you have for us. Amen.